Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Good morning, everyone. For those of you here last week, you know we're working on this book called Attached. And although I think the book may have been written from the perspective of uh, romantic entanglements, I think we discovered last week that really the way we approach relationships is pretty consistent, whether it's for romance, whether it's for friendship, um, whether it's for just being with our friends and family members, that there's something about love, something about that connection between people Uh, that is pretty consistent in our lives. And so we also talked last week about at least the way the authors of this book, uh, I hesitate to say classify, because you know me, I'm I'm pretty hard to put in a nice little square box. Um, (laughs) Well, and getting harder, I think, but but that's another story. (laughs) Anyway, for those of you that took the little Cosmo-style survey and and have an idea of which of the three categories of of connections you make in the world, uh, first of all, the caveat of, I don't know anyone that answered all the questions exactly lined up. All of us have flavors of these, these different styles of connection of being with people. So hopefully you found that to be true for you. Today, I'm going to carry on with what I promised last week. Today, we're going to learn some honest to goodness, useful ways for interacting with each other that will improve our relationships, whether they be romantic, whether they be relationships at work, whether it be with friends and family. And I think we'll have some actual techniques, actual ideas, actual ways of being that are maybe a little different today. So that's my plan. But I think a great place to start might be to learn about relationships from uh, preteens. Don't you think? So this would be pre-teenagers' view on relationships. Lynette, aged nine, says, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Why, even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. (laughs) Martin, aged 10, says, on the first date, you generally just tell each other lies. That usually gets you interested enough for a second date. (laughs) Kirsten, age 11, says, No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you just find out later who you're stuck with. (laughs) Okay, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, and here's a good one. Uh, The question was, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? So Derek, age 9, says, Well, you might have to guess based on whether they're yelling at the same kids or not. All right. <laughs> uh, well, there's more, but uh, <laughs> we'll save it for some other time. Okay. So last week, we talked about the three primary styles of how we connect with other people. One being anxious, that idea of uh, there's a, a little bit of a nervousness in how we connect in with people. And we like a lot of, uh, of feedback with our friends and family members around how we're doing. We tend to fear that friends and partners might not want to be quite as close as we do. And so we're a little bit into that, checking in, you know. Uh, so do you still love me? How am I doing? 
that kind of feeling. A little anxious in how we approach other people. There's the secure style, which simply says that we enjoy being intimate with another person without depending upon them too much. So it's more of an interdependency rather than a dependency. And then finally, the avoidance style of connection with other people, which, uh, which tends to focus on our independence. So the avoidant person, it isn't that they don't want to be and aren't close with other people, but they want to make sure that their own individuality is completely intact. And so there isn't always some of that uh, 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 kind of wearing the heart on the sleeve. It's a little more reticent. So those were the three styles. And I have good news for you. The techniques for approaching these different styles in very functional, very positive ways are kind of the same no matter what the style is. There really are, the authors point out, and I believe it to be true, a number of very successful strategies for being in relationship that will work without even trying to figure out what the other person is. Simply your own knowledge of yourself and what and who and how you approach other people will be sufficient. So let's see if this isn't true. The first strategy that the book talks about is simply being available. And this has a few levels to it. First of all, there's literally physical availability. You know, a lot of people come to me and talk about wishing they had more loving relationships or friends or things like that. And I say, well, tell me a little bit about your life. There's no opportunity. We really have to be out there a little bit, right? We have to be in social situations. We have to uh, come to church, what, you know, whatever it is to make us simply physically available for making new friends and for deepening the relationships we already have. Without the physical proximity, it's pretty hard to do. I mean, we can get a little closer to people on Facebook and some of the social media, but to really make, I think, a good, solid and intimate relationship, we got to get together a little bit. The second level of availability, though, I think is even more important on some ways, and that's that we have to be emotionally available. And, you know, for those of us who answered yes in that third column, those, those little bit distancing people, this one can be tricky. And, you know, when I took the survey, I had some of the questions in that third column. And so for me, really being upfront and understanding my emotions sometimes can be tricky. And I would say it's totally worth it. Because when we connect on an emotional level, it's not just our ideas, it's not just our, our thought values that we have in common. We're really getting into that next layer of intimacy. Now for those of you like me that had some X's in column number three, do we even know what our emotions are? Honestly, I had a father that, I, I mean, he's not around to take that little Cosmo test, but I have the feeling he'd probably be pretty solid in love in column number three. And I'm not so sure that from one day to the next, he actually knew what he was feeling. Let us think about this a little bit, because if we want to be intimate, if we want to be emotionally available, one of the things we have to be aware of is how we are feeling. Am I angry? Am I a little bit depressed? Am I just in an easygoing, kind of fun-filled mood? Uh, these things are actually important if we want to connect in at that next level. And I would suggest to you that the friends and family members in your life that are on that other side of the chart will actually kind of depend on it from you. They will view you as being distant and unapproachable 
if you're not in connection with your own emotions. So it's really worth it. Even if for, for you, maybe you were raised a little bit to be on the stoic side, especially for, for some young people, right? It, it, it's like, no, no, I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. That's just all there is, right? Let's take another look at this. Because I think all of us want to have friendship, marriages, relationships, even at work that, that are a little deeper than just what's on the surface. So take a look, not only at how available you are on the outside, but also how available you are on the inside. Let's be emotionally aware and emotionally available. All right, the next one, I got to tell you, you know, as I was reading through the book, the second strategy that they said is so important, oh, I've been such a failure at it and sometimes in my life, oh, I felt so bad. I was thinking about to my last long-term relationship, and I so did this poorly, and the idea is to be non-interfering. And, you know, nearly every day my ex would come home from work and he would tell me about some of the the strangest, weirdest, and often unpleasant things that happened that day. He worked with the public, like, completely. And, of course, you know how people are or how they can be, right? And so he would come home, well, and this woman said this, and this person did that. And do you know what I was all about? I was going to fix things for him. Oh, what a mistake. <laughs> he didn't want to be fixed. But all, like half the people right here in this room know what he wanted, and that was what? To be heard. He just wanted to be heard and understood. He didn't want me to do anything. And in fact, when I actually tried to do things, when I made suggestions, when I gave my sage advice, <laughs> right? He, I was interfering. He wasn't an adult. He could take care of all those issues. There wasn't anything involved that he wasn't up to, completely up to the task of figuring out the what to do part of it on its own. And you know what's really sad? We were both in such a place of a pure heart, right? He wanted to share his day, and I wanted to be uh, loving and supportive to him. And yet, it was like this. So let us not try to fix people. Let us instead be fully present. Everyone wants to be heard. Very few people want advice. When people want advice, when people want a, a leg up or a hand, when someone wants some help with something that needs to be fixed, you know what? They will ask you. Yeah. So let us be in that place of active listening. Let us be in that place of non-interference unless asked. The next thing that I want to talk about, the next strategy for successful relationships, has to do with something that we don't even think twice about doing for children, and we almost never do it for adults. It is so easy to encourage a child, right? It's like the minute you see their weird crayon drawing, no matter how funky it looks, what do we say? Oh my gosh, that's stunning. Thank you. This is beautiful. Oh, you're getting so good at picking colors out, right? We're immediately, most of us, in that place of encouragement. 
right? And it doesn't matter where on the scale of perfection anything is, right? We're just there for them. This is someone that matters to us. You know, oh my gosh, your singing lessons are coming along so well. You learned that song on the piano. It's that feeling of, of not only are you doing a great job, not only are you capable, but oh my gosh, the progress you've made, the, the potential here for doing better and more is amazing. And somehow... We don't bother to do that once people are like 12 or 13 or 14. Why do we stop? Why would we possibly think that a partner or a coworker, that our best friends don't have that same need and desire for encouragement? We all do. And you know where I notice it lacking the most? It's where we spend almost a third of our lives at work. Most of us have jobs and we spend roughly, you know, probably 25%, a third of our lives doing those jobs. And what do you hear instead? Oh, the new boss isn't going to be very good at that or she's not going to be successful in her new job. If anything, we're tearing people down when we could be so encouraging, right? Everyone on this planet, I think for the most part, has the intention of doing their best, and when we recognize that, when we praise that in people, when we encourage them to do their best and acknowledge when they've done a sweet job, oh my gosh, the world gets so loving, so productive, so, so healthy, so beautiful. In the, and it can be the smallest darn little things, right? When someone feels encouraged, when someone feels that you noticed they did a good job, it means the world. And it creates a world where people feel empowered. So let us stop the idea of uh, adults don't need encouragement. Let us go back to thinking of ourselves all as children. And I guess I don't need to get all goofy about doodles on pieces of paper. Um, but let's maybe get a little goofy about appreciating each other. Let us notice when a job is, is well done, when someone has the potential for, for, for greatness and sweetness. Let us point this out. It'll make all the difference. Okay, we got a couple more things here. One is, and this one also, I think a lot of people were trained to do this differently, but the idea, the strategy for improving relationships and being good at them is to always be timely in your feedback. Now, a lot of times we have both praise and concerns that we want to share with our friends and our family members, right? There's always something going on that we want to say, thank you for, or we want to say, mm, that could have been a little better, right? So often we wait. So often if it's something uncomfortable, I, I'm guessing we think to ourselves, well, that'll blow over. And then whatever it is happens again and we kind of go, mm, well, it's okay. I'm sure she didn't mean it. I'm sure, I, I'm sure it'll blow over and, and he'll notice, somehow he'll notice that I didn't enjoy that. And so then it happens a third time and you're starting to kind of feel a little cranky about it. You're starting to think, well, I thought she was my friend. Doesn't she notice that when she does that thing or she says that thing or, or whatever it is, that, that's like, that's not right. 
but, you know, I feel kind of weird about it. I, should I say something? And then it happens the fourth time and wham! <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Suddenly that urge in you to lash out is like, it was, what do they call it? The last straw? I think something like that. Well, the fourth time was like the last straw and you launch into it. And of course, the person is going to look back at you like, wait, I've been doing that right long. I thought you liked it. <laughs> what? So let us do our feedback, whether it's good or it's bad, as soon as it occurs to us. And you know, a, a person, a, a dear friend of mine, Pat, um, in her 70s taught me this lesson in, in an amazing way. She was so prompt about telling people how it is she wanted to be treated. And I remember meeting her for a few times and I could feel a, a fondness and a, and a friendship developing in me. And she was in her, in her 70s and I, I approached her one day and I called her dear. I said, how are you doing, you know? Um, how are you doing, dear? And she kind of cocked her head and she said, you know, you say dear to little old ladies. And she said, I might be little and I might be old, but I'm not a little old lady. She said, I actually kind of like you and my name's Pat. <laughs> and I so appreciated that. Do you know why I appreciated that? Because what could have happened was, right, I, there was nothing wrong with me. I felt, I, felt, uh, I felt dear to her, right? And so to me, the word was perfectly natural and had no connotations of like she's old and whatever it went in her mind, right? But if I would have continued using that word and she said nothing, at some point, this wouldn't have developed into a sweet friendship because she would have thought I was seeing her one way and I would have been thinking of her in a completely different way. How smart of her right from the get-go just to plunge in and literally tell me how she liked to be talked about. There's such power in that, isn't there? Here's how you talk to me. Here's how I want to be referred to. Here's how you be my friend. Such power in just stating what you want. So let us be timely. Let us be pertinent. Let's be upfront about how we want to be treated. Okay, the next strategy for success in relationship fills up two whole chapters of this book. And I really can't do it justice in a few minutes, but let me read to you um, what it says about this idea of, guess what? It's good communication. The author says, another advantage of effective communication is that it provides a role model. You set the tone for the relationship as one in which you can both be honest and one in which each of you has the sacred responsibility for looking out for each other's well-being. Once you see that you can be so open, your friend will follow suit. It's never too late to start using effective communication to improve a relationship. It's one of those most powerful tools on the planet that people can use in everyday life with partners, with kids, and of course, at work. So what are the elements of effective communication? Now, we already talked about listening, so I'm not going to go over that one, but I will throw out this little idea. I bet that if we listened more and talked less, this world would be a completely different place. 
So, so think about that. I'm gonna, we already talked about active listening, and, and so I'm going to leave that one there. The next one is going to be a little more challenging for people who are in that avoidant style, and that is simply that we're asked to wear our heart on our sleeve. When we're communicating with people, statements like, I feel, statements like, uh, when this happens, you know, I feel a certain way, these are really useful ways to communicate. It gets off of that surface thing, it's, it's a way of not laying blame, and, and it's just true. It's just how you are in the world. So please, when you're having effective communications with other people, check in with yourself to see how you're feeling. And feel free to divulge that information. And it might take a minute. Those of us a little bit on the right side of the spectrum, right? Often we're not in touch with our feelings completely. So before I enter into a discussion with someone, I might just think for a minute, what am I feeling? Am I feeling sad over this issue? Uh, Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling lost or betrayed? What is it exactly that I'm feeling? Because this is something that we can honestly address. And in many ways, you'll find that the feelings are more important than what happened. I'm going to say that one again. Many times you will discover that how two people feel about an issue is more important than the issue itself. And when everyone is up front with what they're feeling, when everyone is up front um, with the feelings that arose from the issue, oh my gosh, often that will be enough to change behaviors right there. Because no one, right? No one wants to be setting up a situation where someone's likely to feel bad or feel strange or feel awkward, right? Most of us will think, well, then maybe I'll handle that a little differently. But if I don't know, then I might be trying to prove that I'm right (laughs) rather than kind. (laughs) I might be wanting to figure that the issue has a black or white kind of answer rather than that the emotions... The emotions have an important answer, which is kindness. So let us wear it to the degree that we can, our hearts on our sleeve, check in with our our own emotional self, and be okay with saying, you know, here's how I'm feeling. This thing happened, and here's how I'm feeling. The other one, and this is back a little bit to, uh, to my friend Pat again, focus on your needs and wants. When we focus on how we would like to be treated, when we focus on what it is we want in life, when we tell the story of what friendship means to us, then we're not shaming and blaming someone. And so often what I notice is that when someone feels their needs aren't being met, we direct it outwards. We say, well, I'm not feeling supported right now because you did this and you did that and you did that. And notice how my fingers even are are going out. How does that feel? (laughs) June's like, stop it, stop it, right? (laughs) When we're in that accusatory stance, and, and of course it doesn't even need to be our hands and our fingers, right? Everyone knows when they're being shamed and blamed. Everyone knows when someone is holding judgment that something you have done is wrong and ruining the world as we know it because you did it. And what is this just likely to do? It's just going to escalate the bad feelings. When we're shamed and blamed, it tends to simply escalate bad feelings higher. 
So instead, to the best that we can, even if the feelings are a little ragged, simply state it is what you would like to have happen. Now, it may be that the two of you are not going to agree, and that actually is okay as well. Because in the process of clarifying what it is that you each want to, to have, you'll learn a lot about each other. And you will have that ability, I think, to transcend the issues and work on their relationship. Because really, when you think about it in science of mind terms, the issues out there, those are the effects. And it is our mind, it is our mental state, it is how we relate to each other in mind, that is the cause. And so when we talk about our emotions, when we talk about our beliefs, not what happened, but rather what's important to us, then we're on the foot for having the issues be self-corrected. Then there's an awareness of how being in the world affects one another's thoughts and their sensibilities, and corrective action is on the way. The very last thing that I want to talk about in terms of effective communication is simply to be specific. A lot of people think that they're good communicators, and, and certainly they may uh, talk a good deal, right? They may be a frequent communicator, but unless, <laughs> unless we have a level of specificity, have we really said much? Do I really know what it means to you personally to be a friend? How do I know, uh, getting back to the idea of encouraging people, how do I know what would encourage you? Am I a mind reader? The fact that we're friends, the fact that uh, you're a family member, can I read your mind? Now I know sometimes it seems like people can, right? Just from close association, I do think I see best friends and couples sometimes that can kind of read each other's minds. But oh my gosh, so very often we make assumptions that other people think and feel just like we do. And I gotta tell you, probably a third of the time, we're just flat wrong. And if I think that someone's style of being appreciated is to have them come up on stage and everybody, you know, thank you for doing a great job. Oh my gosh, there will be people in here that would hate me for that, <laughs> right? And other people, I might think of a way of thanking them, uh, you know, sending them a little note, a little, a little sweet note and maybe a Starbucks card in it. And some people would like that and other people would say, well, that was a waste of a stamp and good money. Why didn't the fool call me and say a job well done? <laughs> Do you see what I mean? In every way that we are with other people, we have our own variety. We have our own ways of being and our own desires of how we're treated and how we're talked to, the, the way in which uh, people like to be referred, the way in people like to be appreciated and noticed. Each of us blessedly, is an individual. And that's what I love about the human experience. If we were all the same, if this was a congregation just of Larry's, I don't think I could come every Sunday. I don't. I don't. I love this variety. I love the fact that each one of you has different hopes, different intentions, different aspirations. And I also love the fact that all of us are here for more or less one reason. 
And that's our spirituality. That's our connection to the one power and the one presence. I'm going to end today um, with a tiny bit of homework and a prayer. I want to quickly go over those five strategies for really working things out well. And I would like you to maybe think about which one could use the most tweaking or improving in your own life. So the strategies were being available, and that includes emotionally available, non-interfering, right? Being a good listener, but not trying to always fix things. Being encouraging, really being there for someone and telling them when they're doing a great job, really encouraging people to find and use their strengths. Being timely and pertinent, right? That idea of right in the moment, whether it's good or bad, being that appropriate, kind feedback. And then the fifth one is effective communications. I'd like you to try perhaps to apply one of these areas, the one that maybe you think you could use the, the most improvement or tweaking or most, uh, most benefit from, and apply it purposefully this week to one of your relationships. See if on purpose you can improve one of your relationships. I think you're going to have fun with this. These are all great methodologies, and they'll work on family members, they'll work with partners, they'll work in the the job market. Wherever you are, I promise you, people will respond positively for these strategies of being in connection with them. So I'm going to do a final quote from Ernest Holmes. This comes from The Science of Mind. And uh, someone asked him about friendships. How can we find more friends? And here's what he said. He says, do we wish to have friends? Well, we must begin, as with all things, to imagine ideal relationships, whether they be social or otherwise. We must sense and feel the presence of friends to enjoy them first in our mind before we've even met them. And in order to have enduring friendships, true, really worthwhile friendships that are a thing of beauty, we should cultivate an attitude of friendship towards everyone and everybody. The person who has learned to love all people will find plenty of people who return that love most magnificently. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness, one supreme love. And what I know about this God, this love is that it's present everywhere. It is present in this room. It is present in our families and with our loved ones. It is present at work. Truly, each of us is a divine center of love. I know this means me. I know that I allow my own heart to open ever greater to experience that that love and that heartfelt sense of my emotionalness. I know in my own heart that there is always that ability to be more and to do more in my relationships, to, to use some of these marvelous strategies for improving and making a difference with the people that count the most. And as it is true for me, I know it's true for each person in this room. Each person here is love. It is the very nature, the very makeup of who and what we are. Each person here is love. And to the ability of each person here, I know that each of us opens our heart ever more to receive and to give more of God's gift of love. And I'm just grateful for this. I'm grateful to be here in the presence of love grateful to be here in the presence of God. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much.
We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.